been a minute, but we're back here with the Tone Bros podcast. You got myself, Tone Bro number two, Electric Boogaloo, Chuck Bungo, and of course, Tone Bro number one stunner, Mr. Matt Horn over here. Now, Matt, I have some news to tell you and uh, anyone who listens to this podcast. All right. Okay, so... Uh, we recorded two other episodes of the podcast. It was around the time whenever Nam and, and all the companies were kind of releasing their new series. And Matt and I delved way, 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 way deep into uh, the new stuff coming out. We kind of criticized Gene Guitars a little bit. Um, now, and I will say this. Now that the initial kind of shock of their, their announcement is over, I went back and looked at it, and I get it. And, and after watching some other uh, YouTubers talk about the current Dean lineup and everything, I've kind of softened my stance a little bit on them. So that was there. And then we also uh, kind of hit on um, uh, some amp companies that you might remember but went the way of the Dota, which would be uh, crank amplifiers. Um, we we kind of delved into the history of them. And when I went to do the episodes, um, we had some audio sync issues and there was some other stuff and I tried my best to correct it and it just didn't work. So those are the two lost episodes. And I apologize to Tone Bro, number one, and to all you folks out there that we did not get our name uh, announcement episodes. Like we talked about the Ibanez stuff. We talked about uh, Fender and their, uh, what is what, what do they call it? The Ultra Lux series, the Lux uh series that they put out which is really good we talked about like um again mentioning ivan as the new uh paul gilbert purple fireman that they put out which looks amazing um and by now a lot of people who would be interested in that stuff i'm sure um have looked at uh and seen all the announcements that are out there so hopefully you see some gear that you want to pick up and speaking of gear that we picked up uh matt you had a little anniversary that came up recently <laughs> I did, and it sounds cheesy, but I think a lot of players, especially ones who suffer from chronic gas, which is probably most of us, um, I kind of realized the other day, uh, I was telling Tonebro number one that I have been in the market for a new acoustic guitar for quite a few years right now, and I have, you know, not to shit on uh, the company at all, because I've played a ton of their stuff, and I know Tonebro number one uh, at one point had some of their stuff, but Oh, Alvarez, I, I still do. Yeah, Alvarez, still yeah. Do. Yeah. Yeah, I have both my Alvarez acoustics. They were the they were the only acoustics I've ever owned, and I love them. Um, but the problem is, is that I didn't maintain my acoustics the way I should have because I always looked at them as just, oh, that's the thing I play when I go camping, or that's the thing I play in the dorms when I couldn't crank the volume up too loud or whatever. So I never really maintained them, and they're in incredibly rough shape. Um, the my most current one, uh, I'm pretty sure it has a neck twist in it. And it's just going to take too much time and too much money to get it fixed, right. get it remedied. So I opted to uh, upgrade. So uh, also that I realized that my speaking of anniversaries, that it was my currently my 25th anniversary as a guitarist. Um, and I've, yeah, well, thank you. 25 years of, of, of owning a guitar and only about five minutes of actual practicing went into it. <laughs> But I decided to uh, go with kind of an, not an oddball, but not a, a name that gets spoken a lot, which is a shame. But I decided to hook up with the good folks at Breedlove, and uh, I went with the um, I went with the oh my gosh, I, I'm a bad guitarist. I don't even remember the the I just, model. I just buy I just buy my gear. I don't even worry what it's called. I legit sound like one of those one of those guys that's interviewed on uh, Rig Rundowns. 
Oh, You're the, like, yeah, I got this. I, I don't even know what it is. Oh, man, Ring Run. I love the Ring Run down still. I still yeah, absolutely I adore them. Like, they're so I good. hit, um, I went down the rabbit hole the other night because I was talking with somebody about Steely Dan uh, recently, and I pulled up uh, two of my favorite Ring Run downs have been uh, Walter Becker's Rest in Peace and John Harrington, who was the second guitarist for them for a long time. And, uh, I just really got deep into that, and that's a case where you go to watch one or two videos and you wind up six hours deep into oh, it. Oh, yeah. I turned it on, fell asleep, and woke up like six hours later and it was still playing. <laughs> I think I was on, um, oh, God, I think I was on a, um, I think I might have been on the Paul Stanley one, which, you know, who cares about that, but whatever. Oh. Uh, love you, Paul. <laughs> so uh, here I looked at it. The model that I got was the Discovery Concert. CE, which is a an acoustic electric with a cutaway. Nice. Um, but yeah, they they were on sale at Sweetwater, and I figured, you know what, let's let's hook up, let's see what happens. Um, and they've gotten some really stellar reviews for being an import guitar because Breedlove, as I was telling you earlier, Breedlove was a company that I always steered clear of because they just seemed so um, high end for me that it didn't really fit my. Um, my mission, if you want to call it that. Right. I always looked at acoustic as kind of just a backup thing, but as I've gotten older, the more I've begun to appreciate just what, just the wonders that just an acoustic guitar, that what you can do with that. Um, so I kind of want to embrace that a little more by, by tackling a, you know, slightly higher end model, even though it's still not considered a high end instrument. It's actually considered relatively, they, they actually consider it an entry level model, which is kind of stupid, but Hey, you know, I guess right. they're looking at price price over um, that or value over price. I guess in that regard, right? And and you so, know, yeah. I I I think Breedlove. I remember Breedlove being one of those companies that kind of they. I I never heard bad things about them, but they always flew under the radar uh, the radar for me um, as far as acoustic brands go. Um, you know, of course. Yeah. Being from Pennsylvania, Martin is king to a lot of people. Um, for me, I, I always looked at Taylor, Ovation, um, uh, and um, uh, what, what's the uh, uh, Seagull? Do you know the the Seagull mm -hmm. brand that's under the Go, yeah. the Godan umbrella? Um, yeah, that was another one that I was kind of curious about. Man, they're great. I, I used to work at a music store, and we sold them. And the ones that were even mid-priced were really, really good. Um, they they played great. They sounded great. The necks were – like, the reason I liked the, the Seagull stuff was because the necks were, um, were wider. Like, they, they were more like a classical neck. Um, and I really okay. like that because that, that was always kind of my thing that I didn't like with, um, uh, Martins and, and other things of that ilk. I didn't like the, the, like how narrow the string spacing was. I always preferred playing my classical for stuff. Um, uh, and, and of course, like my go-to acoustic right now is an ovation legend. Um, I really like mm -hmm. that thing. It's that black one, you know, you know, the one I'm talking about. The one that's very Aldiniola-y. Yeah, yeah, that's we played that I think at a grunge weekend. That was that was a nice, very nice model. Yeah, I love and man, a lot of it's people nice. don't. Uh, nice. A lot of people. Nice. A lot of people, you know, don't like the Ovation thing because it's composite. Like the back and sides are composite, 
and it and the reason that I like it is because they altered the bowl back. It's not that round bowl back anymore. They put an indent, so it feels a little more traditional. Um, yeah. But I will say this: I do miss like a traditional wooden acoustic. So like, that's something that's on my radar um, here down the road. It's just a new, a new like tradi- more traditional acoustic versus that modern kind of thing that Ovation does. But the, the you're gonna have to give us a review on that breed love when it comes in, man. Because again, I've never heard any bad things. Oh yeah, most definitely. And the other thing that kind of sparked my interest: um, I'm not a hippie or anything like that. And no offense to anybody who's who's into that sort of thing, but I do appreciate the value of sustainability. Um, like we were talking about earlier um, off, off camera, if you want to call it that, um, you know, we're currently getting involved with my family's getting involved in sustainable products. Um, and there's something to be said about kind of living off the land, so to speak. Oh yeah. But um, breed love was one of the first companies to really embrace um, sustainable products. Like they're not using, they're using a lot of CITES, regulate or a lot of CITES friendly uh regulated tone woods which again the tone wood debate i'm not going to get into that because that's a that's another subject for another time really i don't, I don't as long as it's yeah. constructed well who, who really cares yeah but they're very conscious about uh sustainable products i know they were doing they just recently did a um a signature model with uh the actor jeff bridges where oh, he was really? very big about yeah he has a whole signature line with them um made in or they're they're based out of oregon and they're made in oregon um but they were apparently outsourcing some wood from the congo which um i forget exactly what breed of wood it is but it was um it grows in overabundance in the congo so for them to to trim a few trees to make some inlays or whatnot was not it wasn't harming the environment at all whereas you know, to chop down a rosewood tree in Brazil is, you know, a near catastrophe at this point. But, you know, I, I can respect that and I can get behind that. So that was Ooh. another another key thing for me. Oh, man, I'm looking at the Jeff Bridges signature. It is pretty. Isn't it? Oh, my God. That and it's is not gorgeous. It's not one of these cases where you have a world-renowned actor with their name on something and the price is just through the roof. As I remember, they're actually fairly reasonable. Oh, that is awesome. Plus the inlay, it says all in this together. I like that. Yep. Man, that's yeah, cool. He is one of these. I mean, he is kind of an old school hippie, um, but very much about sustainable uh, products and, you know, being kind of the environment, being environmentally conscious. So Let's see what we got. I can I can support that. It's their body. The concerto body type. Eastern Hard Rock Maple Neck, Myrtle Wood Solid Top, Myrtle Wood Back and Sides. Uh, the finish is beautiful. It's called Bourbon Gloss, uh, Bourbon Burst Gloss. Oh, that's pretty. African if Ebony Fingerboard. On, wow. If you're on their website, check out the, I believe it's called the Concertina. Okay. That's kind of an interesting, it's like a parlor shaped or a parlor sized one but with they have this like sweet cutaway thing which is really interesting let me uh Um, it's a small guitar let's take a look here see that's the thing for me i'm not really big on um i'm personally not really big on um those those smaller kind of body shapes oh yeah it's that real low swoop bout yeah it's a much smaller more conservative body like yeah that's that's the thing that that style of thing i'm not 
to me, that's not as appealing um, as the, because the, it's such a steep slope on the concertina. Um, the, the concerto is a little, a little more straight across. And I prefer yep. that quite a bit, man. These really are, I hate that we sound like shills, but like it, it's, it's absolutely true. They're, they're very, um, they're very reasonably priced. Like, I mean the, the one that's the Myrtle wood, um, the Jeff Bridges, the one with the, the bourbon burst is $2,700. Now that's the top of the line one, but they have another one uh, that's different, different woods. It's um, Granadillo back and sides, uh, African mahogany neck, and a torrified European spruce uh, top. And it's more of a traditional tobacco burst kind of thing. Um, uh, fingerboard is still African ebony. It has the inlay, and that's around a thousand bucks. So that that's really nice that they have that that kind of uh, range. That's really cool. Man. Yeah. Oh. I'm going to see if it's going to let me do it, but okay. So I was able to post up the one I got on um on the Discord page. Okay. If anybody wants to take a look at it, but yeah, I think that's that's the concert model. So it's it's I guess the concert team or the the concerto is the is the jumbo size. Right. It's like their equivalent of a jumbo guitar, and this is supposedly a little bit bigger than a dreadnought, but not as um not as bulky it's a little bit thinner yeah not as bulky right so i just was really drawn to that whole thing um that plus even though it's it's not as extreme which i like i've kind of had a soft spot for um the florentine cutaways on the washburn acoustics oh yeah like that you get on the uh on the nuno betancourt model i think it was just because i remember seeing that as a kid seeing the video for more than words on mtv when it first came out and seeing that guitar and be like yes Give me that, please. <laughs> and and it, actually playing one, and it feels really nice. Yeah, like and and those sharper those sharper Florentine cutaways. You, it's one of those things you either love them or you hate them. You know what I mean? Um, right. And I I I'm kind of right there. I'm I'm right there with you. I dig that look. I dig that really sharp kind of. You know, it kind of leans into that Art Deco sort of thing. <laughs> Yeah, it yeah. does without being without being bougie, and I know I throw that term around a lot, but that was always something that turned me off about certain acoustic builders is that I always felt like it was more like I mean we've had this discussion many times. I I'm a kind of a purist when it comes to guitar shapes. Like I love Tellys and I love Les Paul shapes and Strats, even Flying V's. Like more traditional, even though it's funny that you think of a Flying V as a traditional body shape, but at its core it really is. I mean it's a 60 year old design. Uh, but it's still timeless to this day. But oh, yeah. I'm not a big pointy. I'm not big into points and sharp edges and, and stuff like that. Um, so for me, the more Art Deco models, they never really appealed to me. But seeing something like this and seeing it in person is 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 kind of nice, dude. So I can get behind that. Yeah. Well, I'm. I and you know me. I'm. I'm on the other side of things. I like pointy. I like modern. I like, you know, those kind of things. Like. You know, I love my uh, like. I have I have a pair of Telecasters. I like my Tellys, um, and I like my Super Strats, like more traditional Super Strats. Um, but I, I, man, I'm. I'll tell you what. And we talked about BC Rich on one of the lost episodes. Man, I'm a sucker. I'm an absolute sucker for a Warlock. I'm a sucker for the Beast mm. shape. I'm. I I can't help it. It's just who I am. Like I, they don't fit me right. 
Um, like I, I finished that, uh, that Dave Mustaine, uh, Dean flying V. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, short of the little cosmetic things, because it was very well gigged, I, you know, put new pickups in it and I restrung it and everything. And it plays great plays and sounds great. Um, it's just the pointy flying V thing is not for me because pointy flying V's like the Jackson King V, the Rhodes, uh, and even the um the 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 Dave Mustaine style V's uh that that Dean did um up until this year. Um they're they're just not they don't fit me right. You know what I mean? I do better with a, mm-hmm. a bigger, more traditional V like a like a Gibson uh or the the Dean uh V. You know what I mean? Or the ML. Yeah, with the with the more rounded edges. Yeah. And I think that's that's kind of what I mean by a more classic design because even though they're they're revolutionary and you know, people when they see that when they see this, the design of a flying V or an explorer, they immediately think, Oh, that's heavy metal. And yeah, that's that can be true to a point, but then you get a lot of blues cats that were using those. Oh uh, yeah. They're using flying V's, you know. Well, uh you get uh, Albert King guys for are God's using sake. Albert King uh, what was his name? Lonnie Mack. Yep. Uh, you know, those players were huge into flying V's explorers. I don't know so much about, but then you get into, um, like firebirds, you know, like you have Johnny winter, who's a big firebird player. That yeah. was kind of his main guitar. So, you know, if the body shape works for you, rocket doesn't matter if it has points, doesn't matter if it, if it's shaped like a, a ninja star, who cares? Yeah. Well, if I you mean, like it, play it. I, I even had, um, I had a, um, a GNL legacy for a while and, and like 91, I think it was. Um, yep. and it was that silver one and I liked it very much. I did. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it was the first strat that felt comfortable on me and that's any strat. Um, because the, the, the big problem with that I had personally with, um, with with, have with strats is where the volume knob is and when you not it knocks out of place well gnl uses an uh detent knob so when you turn it all the way up it notches into place i never once knocked that some bitch out of out of place like it was it was great and it made me it also made me go damn gnls are super comfortable like they feel yeah the neck on that thing it was like it was like a stratocaster that had a neck that was more reminiscent of a charvel and I yeah. love that. It was just, it was a slimmer profile. It was just, it felt a little denser. It was a really nice guitar. And I'm not even going to lie. I kind of miss it. Kind of miss it. Yeah. I, I know what you mean though. Cause I, I got, I was fortunate enough a few years ago to play a tribute, uh, a ASAT or ASAT, however you want to pronounce it. And that was, it had P nineties in it. And I know I ragged on P nineties, but man, that was such a sweet guitar. It yeah. felt so good. And it had such a sweet tone to it. Um, I wish I would have had more more time with it. And again, the pricing was was pretty reasonable. I think they were asking like three seventy five for it. Wow. So I think that's yeah, yeah. Even for import models, that's still I that's uh, still pretty reasonable. You know, I've been on a weird kick lately. Um, since we talked about it a couple episodes ago, where um where we um. We mentioned finding a guitar from our birth year. Yes. You know what I mean? Like you, you were born, what, 78? 78, yep. 78. See, you have a cool year. You have a lot of cool guitars from that year. I was born in 1985. Do yourself a favor. Go on Reverb (laughs) and limit your search to 1985 for guitars. For a lot of people, 
you know, they would look and go, yeesh, you know what I mean? Because if you're going to find a guitar from your birth year, a lot of people would want to find a Fender or a Gibson or something like that. But if you if you nope. go ahead and you go into guitars uh, and, and, and you, you, you limit the year to for solid bodies to 1985, man, you get a lot of, uh, we'll put it, interesting stuff. I mean, you do run into... Um, uh, you do run into, um, here, I'll actually do it right now. You run into like, well, PR, think- you run into like PRSs, like the early PRS stuff, but they are like right. astronomically priced. Like you have, um, like a 19, well, 1987, a Bud Harris painted PRS metal that is $16,000. Like you have a vintage Sorry. custom 24 that is $16,000. Uh, a let uh you have like it, it it's insanity like you know some of the stuff that you see from there but then you get into stuff like you ready for these brands squire and those squires yeah. are good yeah. but then you get kramer was... yamaha tokai yeah. aria bc rich uh ibanez fernandez court charvel charvel not even so much like you don't see a lot of like okay that year like 1985 you know what i mean like yeah and even the bc riches like there's a there's a straight up purple uh bc rich bitch that it from 1985 that is eight thousand dollars wow i'll just oh good lord well and i was gonna say that i think the imports really took off that year especially the mij imports yeah like from that time period from the Late seventies to the mid eighties, there's a gold mine there um, for those aforementioned models, like your Squires, uh, your Grecos. I don't even remember when. When did Edwards start becoming a thing? Ed, oh, that's a good looking question. Um, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I'd have to do a little bit. I don't know of why a... I'm thinking. I don't know why I'm thinking Edwards is more of a nineties thing. I feel but like it's it was still more... in that. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, it seems like it's more of those, um, God, I don't want to say knockoffs, but those foreign import or those foreign tribute, we'll call them, where they were making like companies like Greco and Tokai that were making, um, well, even like Univox and um, Electra, Aria Pro, companies like that, that were making essentially knockoffs of Fender and Gibson models that were at that time arguably better than what was coming out of the American shops. Oh yeah, and that hence the reason for the um the grand uh the grand uh, lawsuits. You know what I mean? Yep. Cuz I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. I've said it a million times. Appetite for Destruction was not a Gibson. Nope. That was a what who was it? That was um I, I can't that remember the a, name of the builder, but it was like a small builder from like m- Middle America or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, basically built a 59 uh, knockoff and Slash got a hold of it and recorded the first album. I, don't, I mean, I'm assuming he recorded more than just an album off of it. But yeah, it's if the instrument's good, you know, rock it. But it's funny that you mentioned Yamahas because I still have I still have that soft spot for those Yamaha SGs. Oh, um, yeah, like that dude. Carlos Santana used to play. Yeah. Dude, those are They're basically great. double cutaway Les Pauls. Yeah, it's it's almost like an SG with the thickness of a Les Paul. 
Yeah. Like it and and they're supposedly phenomenal guitars. Um Oh yeah. The the thing the thing with those, they weirdly hold their value. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's a it's an oddball thing how they hold their value because like I I'll go on Reverb and I'll click through um I'll click through, I'll look for non-functioning stuff, like uh, pickups, yeah. guitars, pedals, stuff like that, and see if I can't find a steal of a deal. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And that, well, that's how I found the Dave Mustaine um, that I that I fixed up. Like the thing, I found, I found one of the ones, and it was the reissue. You you remember they did the? I think it was the SG two thousand, and it was in silver burst. I think so. Yeah, yeah. The, with EMG pickups and stuff. Yeah. Like they did that and I found one and the headstock was snapped clean off. Not like cracked, not anything like that. It was snapped off. Right? Yeah. And I went, oh man, this is going to be good. I looked at the price, $1,200 for a husk that was broken. And I, I I desperately wanted to message the guy and be like, I'll give you 400 bucks for it. Like, and not being snarky, because I know they're valuable, but I'm like, man, I would have to, like, you have to do a repair. You got to get the headstock repaired. That by itself is a huge cost, unless you can do right. it yourself. Um, and, and doing that and getting it right is incredibly difficult. Like, so, you know, I, I wanted to do that, but I was like, nah, forget it. Like, I'll just, just leave it alone. Like, yeah. but I... The, they they hold their value really weirdly. Do you remember the Fender Katana? Yeah, I do. <laughs> See, it was like a it pizza a, slice. Yeah, it looks like I was gonna say it looked like a pizza slice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think they were trying to to um, they were trying to compete. I think with Jackson. Like when you look at that, you can see a bit of the roads in there, but it was just so it's so clunky. And I love Fender, but man, that was a a misstep. That's a that's an understatement. I mean, like it's a and for me, I think it's I look at it and it's one of those things when you this is going to sound terrible. It's when you see a puppy missing a leg. Like, you know what I mean? You you look at it and you're like, oh, buddy. And you want to just like you just want to take care of it and pet it and love it and call it George. Like it's the you know, that's when I look at guitars like that, that companies tried to do to compete with the more extreme shapes of the day. I, that's what I want to do. I want to just collect them all and have them and be like, I love you. You're a good guitar. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just do. The ugly mutt syndrome. Yeah. It really is. Like, and, and I don't know, man. I've always liked, re- like, you've known me long enough. I've always liked really quirky oddball gear. Yeah. Because there's a magic to it. Yeah. Absolutely. There's something that it possesses that you can't find on your mass-produced models. Like, Absolutely. You know, it's, I talk about you know Fenders a lot because um, you know the Tele is kind of my main guitar, and every time like I watch a guitar video and if a, a video comes up with a butterscotch Blackguard Telecaster, my kids go crazy because they're like, Dad, they have the same guitar that you do. Aww. And I'm looking at it, and it's like, no, that's a 1952 Broadcaster. <laughs> like, but it, but it's the same guitar. I'm like, no, it's actually not. The one that the one that's on the video is worth about four hundred fifty thousand dollars. It would it's, it would it's put okay. it would put both of you through college. Right. Easily. Like I was watching a, a I was watching a Roy Buchanan video, 
And Leah goes, Dad, wouldn't it be something if you had his actual guitar? Because it looks the same. And I'm like, I do not have Roy Buchanan's Telecaster. Believe me, I would know if I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but try it. But like, I had to explain it to them that this particular color and this particular like design of it, they are millions of them floating around in the world right now. Oh, absolutely. So it's not, so it's not rare at all. Um, and they're like, well, does it play the same? Some of them do. Some of them don't, you know, you get some that have seven and what is it? Seven and a half inch radii. You have some that have 20 inch radii. Yeah. You know, it just depends on them. It depends on the model, but that it's that whole thing of you have a design that is timeless. That's, that's, done a million times over these builders can make in their sleep it's it's great but there's there's a certain magic that's not quite there yeah um but with these oddball guitars now again you can argue if you if you take i don't know like a glary telecaster or um god i don't know one of those kanangi king tellies and you play it and you're like oh okay that's cool but then when you pick up a fender telecaster and you're like no i get this i, I get this it's a, it's you know, it's the same thing with like Les Pauls or you, SGs. You pick up the original model and you're like, oh, I understand now. Yo, you just reminded me. Guess what? Okay. I got to What's play that? a Kanye King. Get out. You did. Yeah, I did. They had one at the, at the Robinson Guitar Center. Okay, talk. In now. the other weekend. Oh, dude, look. Okay. It's one of those things that I went, yep, it's a guitar. Like, it, I can't slam it. Oh. I can't bash it. Like, it was just right. you pick it up, you play it, and you're like, yep, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be. Like, it just, it just plays. Yeah, That's it's it. a, it's it a guitar. Sense. Like, it, it's like, okay, you want, you want that vibe, you want that look? Sure. Cool. Neat. Like, it's definitely like, and I, the reason I won't slam it is because it didn't play terribly. It obviously needed a setup, but it didn't play, yeah. it didn't play poorly. It, it didn't sound terrible, but it did, it, nothing about it was noteworthy. So it was absolutely well, it was absolutely one of the things where I'm like, if you can find one used and it's a good deal and you either want a backup guitar or you want a mod platform or you just need like you you want to get someone their starter guitar, cool. You know what I mean? It was like Well, let me ask you, if if you had two hundred bucks that was burning a hole in your pocket and you absolutely had to get or so you're let's say you're you got hired at a gig somewhere and you had a show, you got there before your gear did and there was a guitar center near there and you had to get something that guitar was what you had and that's all you had in your pocket would you get it oh say hey i'm gonna i'm gonna get a credit card (laughs) and get instant approval for something else if it well okay i know that's a loaded that's a loaded question because uh, listen if if gun to my head if i have to do a gig if I have to do a gig and like I'm in a pinch in a bind, I will play a broomstick with a rubber band on it. Like I'm one of those right. people. So, right. but if I didn't have that mentality, I'd probably honestly look for like, like a, a like a like a Squire standard Strat or standard Tele, um, right. or something first. Uh, but if that was the only thing available in the wheelhouse of what I needed and it was there and they would take cash and I could go right out the door with it and, or they would give me a setup included in the purchase. Sure. I mean, I wouldn't be happy about it, but sure. Like, well, I guess, I guess too, because we live in a world where no matter what store you go to in any part of the world, you're going to find 
at the very minimum, you're going to find a squire of some kind. Oh, yeah. And I guess my question was if, you know, they had a squire affinity strat and then they had a Kanani King strat, you'd probably walk out of there with the squire if that's all you had. Probably because even then it would give you I, I hate this. OK, this is going to make me sound terrible. It gives you the look like, you know what I mean? If yeah. you have a squire, it gives you the look like it, it gives you a more serious look. Right. You know what I mean? And we did our Well, there is a certain there's a certain pride aspect like when you pick up an instrument and we can we can cover this later too or we can expand upon it further but like when you pick up a guitar and you hold the headstock up and you see and it says Fender on it or you see it says Gibson on it or you see it, it has Paul Reed Smith's signature on it that's a certain level of pride that is hard to put into words it's hard to quantify because even though it may be one of the cheaper models you're still playing something that has been officially stamped by a company that's provided a heritage. Right. I know it sounds kind of silly, but it, because really it, it comes down to the bones of it, not, not what's stamped on the headstock, but right. there is a certain level of pride and there's a certain level of respect that when you walk into a gig and you pull out, I'm going to use it again. When you pull out a Fender guitar, it's like that guy knows his shit. That guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. He's got a proper Fender. It has, it just has more uh, more of an affectation to it like it's a marquee value yeah and and you know that's there's something to be said about that there's and and you know i'm i'm still very much in the camp of what it says like brand like you know being brand loyal to a fault is a problem um yeah. because then you'll never try anything that could be better for you or you might like more or would be another good tool in your toolbox. You know what I mean? So right. I, I, but you know, I very much love my Ibanez's and I feel more confident when I, when I have like, it's almost like a security blanket at this point. Like my, my green mm -hmm. S that I have, I take that on, on damn near every gig. Like it's just, like it, it, you know, I put the, the replacement pickups in it and it's just seen, I've taken it on damn near every gig. I, I take it to theater gigs. I've taken it to jazz gigs. I've played in a big band with it. I use it in metal, uh, metal, you know, uh, uh, performance setting. It can do everything and it does it well and it feels good. It consistently feels good. I think of all the time I've owned the thing. I've only had to adjust it once. Like it's it's just a good guitar. Now, on the other hand, I also really like taking my Balaguer out. I love my Balaguer. Like but it's just a different tool. Like I don't know. It's it's hard to it's hard to say. Like it's just like a it's a comfort thing to know that like I have that and if you, I I don't know. I'm kind of yammering at this point. But like I feel like people do need to step outside their comfort zone. Oh, no. Tone, bro. You back? Yeah, I'm here. Yay. All right. Oh, my yep. God. I was like, all of a sudden I heard nothing. I'm like, no. Oh, no. Well, you're back. I'm glad. Um, okay. The, like, you know, it's, for example, like, there's some, I don't, I don't know. That's a whole nother conversation on, like, brand and image and playing stuff and everything like that 
that's that's a whole different a whole different discussion. Oh, yeah. So and, and we've hit on that before too, being brand myopic to a fault. You know, yeah. When you, when you just refuse to see the light of day from any other company. Yeah. So I I uh, whenever we do this this uh, podcast, usually. I'm rolling around on uh, usually rolling around on uh, used websites, whether it be Guitar Center, Reverb, uh, local music store used websites. You know, I just kind of cruise around and check out what's uh, what's cool within driving distance. And man, I found a couple neat things that are that are around uh, Pennsylvania right now. Um, Do you tell? Okay, so one of them is. Um, well, that one's not in Pennsylvania, but it's cool. Um, the two that I've found so far that are that are really neat um, are in Harrisburg. There is an Aria TA-61, basically a 335. Um, and it's an Aria Pro 2. It's an older one. And it's in okay. wine red. And I have wanted one of those for so long because my guitar teacher in college had one um it's uh you're talking about mullen. mr mullen yeah mullen always, yes he did okay he always brought his strat in uh to to teach uh or his classical but i got to go to his house one time uh it, it was while i was preparing for my senior recital and he took me into his his uh like room his like space where he had um, the, his guitars and where he practiced and, and everything like that. And he had that hanging on the wall and I asked him about it and he said, Oh yeah. And he pulled it down and I played it. Dude, it was amazing. And it sounded incredible. Um, and ever since then he didn't have it in wine red. I think he had it in a different finish, but I have wanted, his, I wanted, think it was sunburst. Yes. I wanted, yeah. I've wanted one for so long. And there's one in Harrisburg, and they want a crispy $500 for it. Um, oh, wow. That's a good deal. The other one is up in Erie. Did you know about the Erie Guitar Center? No, I didn't. Yeah, they opened up a couple of years ago. And, um, like, I never have made it up there because Erie's quite a jaunt uh, for me. However... They have yeah. two. They have two. Actually, two things that really kind of made me go, "Ooh, those might be worth the trip." One is an old Carvin BB seventy six, which was the Bunny Brunel signature uh, when Bunny Brunel was with uh, Carvin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those are their bases, right? That's yeah. A base model. It has a. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I thought. Yeah, I was thinking of somebody else. Um, yeah, those were nice because he was he started off on Yamaha, right? Bunny, yes, I think I think he back in the day he used Yamaha or Fender or something. Yeah, like I they have a bass called the BB. Oh, um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one that Michael Anthony um, always played. That's the one that like when you see eighties videos, the bass players most of them were playing. If they weren't playing like Steinberger. Or if they weren't playing companies like that, there were, a lot of them were playing Yamahas, and and it was the BB model. And I didn't know I I didn't know anything about that, but I was under the assumption that it was a Bunny Brunel. Uh, I don't model, know. But. I honestly, that's that's a lineage I don't know. But I know Bunny Brunel uh, was with ESP. Is he still? 
He might still be. Because it was kind of a big deal when he went from uh, Carvin Kiesel to um, to ESP. It was kind of a big get, um, at least from a gear standpoint, because he has been with um, uh, he's been with he was with Carvin forever, and I I legit thought like because they got ESP pulled him and Javier Reyes. Do you remember Javier Reyes was uh, using um, using Kiesel for a spell? I think so. Yeah, it, I don't see. I only ever remember him playing Ibanez. Um, like in the early, early days of Animals as Leaders. Well, he he was, but then he went to um, uh, whenever whenever he left, he started using a different brand, and it was Kiesel. Okay. Like the, if you that when they played the Guitar Center sessions, he's playing okay. a a Kiesel. Um, or a Carvin. It was before they rebranded. And it was okay. like, oh, he's playing a DC-800. Like, holy crap, this is big. And I'm like, they're going to have a signature for him. They're going to this. And then out of nowhere, he just landed with ESP. And it was like, but it was also the same year that they pulled Bunny Brunel from uh, Kiesel. Like, it was one of yeah. those things that it was like, oh, Bunny Brunel's going to LTD. That's kind of weird. Um, and he is still with LTD. He does uh, uh, five string fretless with them. Um, yeah, because there was I was surprised. There were a couple of bass players that I was shocked to find out that they were with ESP, like Marco Mendoza. Kind of oh, yeah. surprised me because I always thought he was playing. Not that I mean, obviously ESP is has extremely high end uh, reputation, but I always suspected him as being one of these as playing these like you know super. Um, micro um, run uh, luthier jobs, but find out he was playing commercial models was kind of interesting. But. Yeah. Um, the other one I remember that ESP LTD got that surprised me was Frank Bellow from Anthrax. Yeah. Whenever yeah. whenever he went from Fender to ESP, I was really surprised because he has been a jazz bass guy his entire like career. Yeah. Like, jazz basses and P basses. Um, Cause he's a big Steve Harris guy. Oh yeah. So, uh, you know, he basically, he credits Steve Harris for basically putting anthrax on the map. Um, so yeah, I'm, I was surprised when he jumped ship with them. Cause I cause he had just released um, a signature model with Fender in like two, 2010. Yeah. It was basically, like that. and then it was a rebranded aerodyne. Yeah. Yep. And then like a, t two years later if even that he was with ESP. Yeah. Like, oh, well that's that sucks, but I get it. What well, I don't think it sucks. It was just surprising. Um I and I I really didn't understand why. I thought maybe it was the influence of um oh, who was who was the guy who was who started playing with them whenever um uh whenever Danny uh, Spites or Spitz. Oh, Rob Caggiano. Rob Caggiano. Rob Caggiano was with ESP, and then Frank came over and was with ESP, and then Rob Caggiano went to Jackson. Yep. Like, and he has that weird surfcaster, um, with them, which which is interesting because that's what Scott Ian used to play. Yeah. Uh, in the nineties, he had the surfcaster, so it's like full circle. Yeah. Um, and just since we're on the topic of um, uh. ESP really quick the 
they they released a whole bunch of uh really cool stuff this year it was a lot like they're putting uh stainless steel stuff on all their uh thousand series plus uh guitars which is really cool um kirk hammett put out they reissued the cage three the single cut which is awesome but the one that i really thought was cool a really cool release was mike shalbaum uh Schilbaum from darkest hour his uh he he took the the arrow and basically like Les Paul customed it. Like it's it's a cream white finish, cream binding, cream pickup ring, one single bridge pickup. Um and I think it's an I think it's an E uh an EMG JH, uh, James Hetfield. Um okay. Ebony board block inlays, Floyd Rose, like it's it's a cool looking guitar, man. It's one of those guitars that you go, "Yeah, you don't want to take this on a jazz gig." Like you don't want <laughs> like it's it's very much a classy metal kind of thing but anyway digressing they have one of the old carvin uh buddy brunel's up there in erie the other thing that's cool and this is an amp that has a weird like history that i was really surprised about it's an ampeg vl 1002 were those the lee jackson uh design ones yeah okay the one that had the 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 key ignition yes Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. They have one of those um, up there and it looks like it's in really good shape. Um, it needs a new input screw. Um, the input jack would still work, but it just needs the the mounting screw. Um, this is the one that has a power attenuator in it. So you can okay. like built into it. So you can just like crank the shit out of it and then bring it down. Um and it has the frequency, like the mid-frequency choice thing. It's a really cool amp. And they have like, I think it's in like like black metal or something like that. Not black metal, but like um, either black metal or doom metal. It's like a, it's like a very like kind of like secret weapon amp for that style of music. Are you talking about Ampeg? Yeah, well, the the Ampeg VL one hundred specific or one thousand two uh, specifically, like that. So I was gonna say the Ampeg the Ampeg V four is is a uh, one of the mainstays of the Rigs of Doom, the Stoner uh, amps. Oh, really? Because they're like, yeah, they're like these hundred watt, um, all valve just beasts, and they, I guess they were another thing where they were designed for more of a cleaner sound, but if you goose it. It'll just get this sludgy, um, like harmonically rich grind. Just um, power amps, about power, power, uh, power tube is about to explode, kind of thing. Yeah, and I think Josh Homme used one for a while. Ah. Um, but then, like, I, th I think it was the V4 model. But um, Steve Morris was also a big user of that when he was in the Dregs um, before, like, when he got the gig in Deep Purple and started playing Angles. Yeah. Well, he was actually he was playing 5150s for a while too. Yeah. But yeah, the Ampeg amps, because uh, I, I don't know if you remember, I used to have that VT60. Yeah. And I played, when I played that at the at the guitar store, my my immature ears at the time said, oh, that's that's a Mesa Boogie Mark III sound, basically. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool, because of the, the EQ section that it had. And I was like, okay, I get that sound, cool. And then I start trying to gig with it, and it was just so muffled. But now I've heard recordings... Um, that we did when I when I gigged with those back about 
God, it was almost 20 years ago now. And it sounded really good. I was surprised how good it sounded on stage. Being right next to it, though, it was it was just completely lost in the mix. Well, that and that's but, you know that's kind of the problem with you know with 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 amplifiers playing live is that like you forget like you might dial in your sound that sounds really good like right next to your like like when you're playing it in the practice space or when you're up on stage, but then out front it'll sound bad. Or when, or yeah. vice versa, it'll sound bad when you're like right up on it, but out front it'll sound amazing. You know what right. I mean? Um, well, and also too, I was in not competing, but our, our second guitarist he had um he had a Mar- uh, Jace, um yeah what is it um a ni- Marshall nineteen sixty cabinet um and he would either play his fifty watt his uh, fifty watt plexi. Or he'd play his uh, MP1 through a Crown. I think it was a Crown or a Crest power amp. Um, so, of course, you know my little sixty watt one by twelve was completely lost. <laughs> well, you know, um, you know. Well, that's that's nothing also, wrong with that, though. Well, dude, I mean, I went and saw uh, this past weekend. I went and saw my buddy's band play, um, and the the singer and rhythm guitar player was playing a Marshall TSL 100 combo. Um, and that thing, I, he brought it over. It was right after he got it. He brought it over to, uh, my buddy, who's the other guitar player in the band. He brought it over to his house. We were all there and the TSLs, I just have a weird kind of like skepticism about, um, because I, I just always thought they sounded not good. But then again, I also didn't really know how to dial something in. Uh, whenever I had time with them, we plugged that thing yeah. in and we played around with it. Man, it sounds good. Like the 212 combo of the TSL sounds awesome. On the other hand, though, my friend uh, Tony was running a Friedman 112 and a, I think, the Dirty Shirley um, mini, the sp- like the, 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 the single channel. Uh, dirty. He had he had the he has the dirty Shirley and the pink taco. Like he has both of those, and mm-hmm. he had he he always has one as a backup, um, just in case one goes down. And man, now he's the lead guitar player in the band. But I'll tell you what, I, I, I the Friedman thing. I never thought the juice was worth the squeeze with the price until I played them at his house, and I was like, wow, these are great. And then I heard them live. They cut so yeah. much more than 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 that TSL. Now the TSL doesn't sound bad, and of course the mix was done because he's the rhythm player. You know, Tony needs to be a little bit louder, being the lead player. But it's just they just are are more full and powerful. Like those Friedmans are incredible. And but again, if you go like they were mic'd up, so if you you go up on stage, it wasn't killing anyone like because those are lower wattage yep. amps i think they're what 20 or 30 watts the the pt yeah i think the pt is 20 and i'm pretty sure the the ds might be 30 yeah but i have to say on a side note i feel bad for anybody who just walked into this podcast hearing you talk about the pink taco and the dirty shirley well, well, and putting juice into those well you um, know <laughs> I, but it's, uh, uh it's, we're gonna inject a brief brief um 
a brief snippet of gaslighting with Matt and Chuck 2021. Oh, there um, you go. We should do we should do an episode of if well, so if Josh Scott from JHS hadn't just done one recently, I'd say we should totally do an episode where we talk about the most inappropriate names for gear. And I think Friedman would kind of have a category in completely dominated by their themselves. I think Friedman would and then I think um what were the pedals that that Steel Panther did? Oh my God! Do you remember the, those? Yes, I, I'm almost even afraid to say them. Yeah, I, I, I was gonna say just Google, just Google them. Google Steel Panther and guitar pedals. You'll find them. We'll call the, we'll call the one the PM. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't remember what was the delay. Oh, let me, let me look. I'll, I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, and it was one of those things. I didn't realize. Um, uh. I didn't realize how limited those were going to be. Um, yeah. I, I should have bought one because I had the money. Uh, the PM was one of them. The other one, um, they actually have three now. The The other one was the PB. Um, and should I say it? The delay. Um, I'm going to say it. Go for the it. The delay was the Poontang Boomerang. Yes, that's right. Uh, the the other well, you know, we might as well go full board. The first version of yeah. the uh, their distortion pedal was called the Pussy Melder, um, but then they oh, released man. a third one and they call it the Butthole Burner. That's right. Um, yeah. The and and the thing is, it's the exact same circuit as the uh, as they put on here, it's hot, it's spicy, it's sexy and feisty. Ladies and gentlemen, Steel Panther presents the Butthole Burner. It's the new version of the perfect distortion pedal built with the exact same circuit as the legendary PM. The Butthole Burner is about to scorch your uh, eardrums across the world. Uh, get yours before it's gone forever and at crazy expensive prices on eBay. Like, so they still have it. You can buy it. It's 200 bucks. Um... Is it uh, worth it? I I don't know. Um, I th I think it's well, kind of I think it's kind of cool um, that they're it's doing. It's a novelty. These, it's a novelty, and you know it's meant for the. It, it's in my opinion, it's meant for collectors. Like yeah. it, it's meant to collect. I don't know if there's anyone out there other than Satchel who actually has these on their board. Um, well, let's, let's go back a little bit further, if you right. will, uh, if you will. Um, all right. So let's do, let's do our first episode of gear 101 with Matt and Chuck in today's lesson, uh, the history of the pussy melder. <laughs> so, it, it, well, go if I remember it. correctly, if I remember correctly, I think the whole controversy started because of possibly the least offensive, um, gear builder in the world, TC electronic. If I remember correctly. They when they do their tone print series, which if you're those of you listening, if you're unfamiliar with the tone print, it's basically presets that you can download for quite a few of their pedals. Uh, they're developed by artists um, from every every facet. But you can go on their website, and they even have an app for uh, iPhone and for Android devices where you can upload and you can create your own um, tone prints. Well, long story short, Satchel creates one, and I believe it was from the it was the fl on the flashback uh, delay pedal, and it was supposedly based on an old, the old was it the twenty two ninety, and if I remember correctly, he did just he 
the preset of it was just called the Pussy Melter. And TC Electronic got in a lot of shit for releasing that, and they yeah. ended up having to change the name of it. And I guess Satchel kind of got a little irked with that and said, well, you know what? I'm going to release a pedal called the Pussy Melter. And I forget who... I don't know why I was thinking it was somebody over at Boutique Gear or Boutique Guitars built this this pedal. Um, but that's that's pretty much where the Pussy Melder came from. Well, and and you know what? I mean, they made money. Like, I mean, they made money off of it. It's it's kind of it's kind of I I mean, it's it's a marketing thing. The same thing with the Poontang Boomerang. Uh, you bought them brand new for two hundred dollars. The one that I saw on Reverb was going for five eighty. Like, right? You know, it's like okay, like it's collector things. The problem is, it's one of the and and maybe this is just me being snarky because sorry for anyone who's listening. I'm not the biggest fan of Steel Panther. I, not I at like all. I I I like um. I like the musicians a lot. Um, I do like all the musicians in Steel Panther are phenomenal. Um, it's about what's Satchel's real name. I can't remember. I can't. Yeah, I can't remember either, but I know he's no, he's legit. I remember reading about him years and years and years ago when he was playing with atomic punks. Yeah. Which uh, is kind of the, was like the premier Van Halen tribute band. Uh, uh, John Russell Parrish is his real name. Russ Parrish. Okay. He is phenomenal. Like he is incredible. He is a wildly yeah. amazing, uh, guitar player, you know? And, and I think yeah. it's cool that they managed to get like a foothold and be able to do this for a living. And they write, their songs are written really well. Like that's the other thing that's kind of like, you can't deny like the songs are written incredibly well. Um, I, I just don't, I don't know. It's just not, it's not for me. Like, it's just not my thing. The first time I heard them, I was like, Oh, okay. That's funny. And then people like are like, man, they're the best band ever. I'm like, are they though? Are they though? Well, like, see, I, I, I used to like them way, way, way back in the day when they were called spinal tap. Um, <laughs> but that's, Sorry, that was. I've been holding on that for a couple of months. It's and I I understand it's meant to be a piss take. It's meant it's meant to be a goof. Like it's obviously comedy with really really excellent musicianship behind it. Um, and I like. Yeah, no doubt. Like I like it. Like it. I I do like it, but it's not one of those things that I'm like I'm driving in the car. It's like man, I'm gonna put on some Steel Panther. You know. Yeah, I think. Uh, I, I'm going to say that they're kind of, and I know I'm, I'm all full of it today, but um, I kind of would consider them to be like the white claw of the, of the metal oh, scene. Wow. wow. Because, because it's something that everybody likes, but they like it because it's trendy. Um, but I do, I do respect their musicianship. Absolutely. And I do think they, they write some really good stuff, but true, very true. They're, they are, they are a gimmick. Um, I, I'm going to go way back. And I don't know if you remember this, um, it was a band that was gimmicky, but they weren't. And this was before like Greta Van Fleet and before some of these other bands. But do you remember a band called Black Tide? Oh yeah, they were kind of geared up. They, they were next to Trivium. They were really being marketed as the next Metallica. Um, 
because they were this thrashy. Uh, they were almost like a, like a skater band, but they, they were, were like super thrashy. They were a bunch of young kids, right? Yeah, they were teenagers. Yeah. And I, I got their first album when it came out because they had that song Shockwave, which was bonkers. It was crazy good. And I remember like thinking, okay, this is where this is where it's going. We're gonna go back to the old school. We're gonna go back to to a ba- to the Bay Area thrash sound of the '80s, and just with more melody and more production value. And you never heard from them again, <laughs> and it kind of sucks. Um, yeah, there was another band who, oh gosh, I can't remember their name, but one of their either their lead singer or their lead guitarist just passed away, and I can't remember what the name of the band is for the life of me. But they were a little bit more aggressive version of that. I'll have to. Yeah, I'll have to do a Google search. Speaking of uh, musicians that passed away, um, yeah, we, we need to mention uh, this week the passing of the late great uh, Chick Corea. Um, yeah. For any for anyone who doesn't know, Chick Corea was, in my opinion, from modern perspective, when you're looking at fusion and things like that, he was the pianist like the pianist like Mm -hmm. he was and he was everything that you if you've come across anybody talking about chick korea and his legacy and his ability and his uh his musicianship none of it i think if anything it's it's not saying enough like i had the opportunity to see chick korea and um bela fleck perform together when they were touring and it was um uh, banjo and piano. That's it. And it was, it was to this day, it was still an experience. It was incredible. It was amazing. I, 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 you know, and return to forever. What a band, what a band. Like, yeah. And that's, that was one of those super groups before there were even such a thing as super groups. Oh yeah. Cause it was Chick Corea. It was Al Diniola on guitar. It was, um, Stanley uh, Clark, Stanley Clark on bass. Um, and even before that, that led to collaborations with, um, uh, Anthony Jackson. Um, he brought in Frank Gambale. Oh, uh, he was doing stuff with Dave Weichel. You know, these are the best even, musicians in jazz. He even worked with Steve Vai. Yes. Like, I mean, yeah. And there are, there are maybe I'm going to say there's four names that really pop out when you talk about fusion um, players. It's Chick Corea, uh, Joseph Zalanol from Weather Report, yeah, um, Herbie Hancock to a point, even though he was more in the he was a little bit more in the more rooted in the traditional jazz, yeah. and George Duke, who was more he did a lot of stuff with Jeff Beck. But then he was also doing some Motown stuff. Yeah. But those are kind of four names that really pop up when you think of fusion players. And Chick Corea, like a lot of these guys, got his start backing Miles Davis. He was on um, the first album I was familiar with him on was Bitches Brew, which was um, which had, among other people, Chick Corea had um, Anthony Jackson on bass in certain tracks, John McLaughlin on guitar. You know, Miles Davis is the guy who he knew how to pick musicians. Yes. You know, he had he had guys like Marcus Miller and he had Mike Stern. He had all these legendary players under his belt. And Chick Corea was one of the guys that was able to take off early on. Bitches Brew, I think, was released in 1969, 68 or 69. And yeah. Chick was able to build off of that. Um, yeah, it's a tremendous loss. It, it It is an absolute incredible loss. And I, you know... 
it's one of those things that the the losses that we've had over the past year uh, in in the music world, regardless of of genre, um, have been huge. I mean, we started off twenty twenty one losing Neil Peart or Pert, sorry, Neil Pert. Like we started off then, yeah, losing him, and that kind of set the tone. And 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 the I actually did it at work, you know, on the air at the at the near the end of the year. It was right after we lost uh, Alexi Leho, um, from Children of Bodom, um, which was a huge, huge loss. Um, yeah. And um, that uh, there we go. And and I went through and I talked about uh, you know musicians that passed away in the year of 2020. You know, it, it like I said, we ha- we lost um, uh, Neil Pert. Then you had um, uh, there's there's literally a list of almost a hundred in here um, from the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. There was Chris Darrow, lost Chris Darrow, uh, Bob. Na- we lost Ro- Ro- uh, was it Rupert Neve? Recently. Yeah, Rupert- just uh, on Saturday, I think. Rupert Neve. It was Friday or Saturday. Rupert Neve passed away. Yeah. Rupert Neve passed away, which is, it's like, what, what, like, and I understand it's, this is just something that happens over time. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sitting here being naive. These people are going to be, you know, there forever. But like Kenny Rogers, Kenny Rogers passed Mm -hmm. away. Uh, uh, Let's see who else there's there. I'm sitting here looking at the list. Uh, Bill Withers lost Bill Withers. Um, John Prine was another one who died. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, which was really big for a bunch of my friends. I didn't realize how how influential John Prine was for the uh, the the kind of Americana sort of thing. Like, because I'm I don't really walk in that world. But then hearing right. more about him and hearing his music, it was it was incredible. Um, Sweet P. Atkinson, Little Richard, for God's sake, that one yeah. kind of flew under the radar. He died of bone cancer. Uh, yeah. De- uh, Derek Lawrence, who was the producer of Deep Purple. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, Wishbone Ash, uh, Joey Image, who played with the Misfits, uh, Phil May, Frank Bay, uh, uh, Ricky Valance, Paul Chapman from UFO and Lone Star. Uh, I, and I understand people are like, what, are you going to list them all? I, no. Uh, of course, we talked about it before. Peter Green. Peter Green yeah. died. Um, Tony Costanza from Machine Head. Um, uh, who else? Pete Way. Pete Way from UFO and Fastway died. Jack Sherman, who played with the Chili Peppers. Uh, uh, Riley Gale from Power Trip. You know, like uh, uh, Mark Stone, uh, who was who was uh, in association with Van Halen. And, of course, EVH passed away. Uh, you know, Tony Lewis of The Outfield. Yep. And if anyone's out there, The Outfield. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, Josie's on a vacation far away. Dude. Honestly, like, I t- I've told people this for, for years. Go get the album. I think it's called Play Left. Yeah. Um, but it was their debut album. That is some of the best music you'll ever hear. The guitar tones are stellar. Three-part vocal harmony. The production is great. It, is, it has amazing music. Yeah, I mean, like, and then let's see, like, who else was there? Oh, speaking it's called of- Play, Play Deep is what the album is called. Now I remember. Leslie yeah. Leslie West from Mountain, yeah. Um, uh, Pele Allsing, uh, from Roxette, and of course Children of Bodom. Uh, Alto Reed from Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. Um, I said Alexi Leho from Children of Bodom. Uh, 
Sylvan Sylvan from the New York Dolls. We lost this year already. Yeah. Um, Chick Corea, of course, we mentioned. Mary Wilson from the Supremes passed away. Yeah, that was like, sad. You know, uh, Hilton Valentine from the Animals. So, like, this this whole generation, you know, and even current generation, but a lot of these um, – these these people from these from these generation who like really were formative like for rock and roll and modern music who paved the way are are dying and and, yeah, it's, and it's, it's really sad it is and i think it's you know we're just probably more cognizant we're more aware of of the impact of some of these artists now our kids are going to look at it and be like Oh yeah, my dad used to talk about that, or my mom used to talk about that. Because I remember very early on um, hearing my mom talk about John Lennon. Oh yeah, and I was a year—I was almost two years old when John Lennon was murdered, and I—I I grew up listening to that music, so I didn't understand the impact of his death. But at the same time, I. You know, as an adult now, I go back and go, oh, I can't even imagine what the world went through when he when when John Lennon passed, not just in terms of the the um, the brutality of his death, you know, basically being shot in public. Yeah. By a lunatic, but in the sudden severe, the suddenness of it. But he was I mean, he was literally the voice of a generation. Um I'm just. I'm also looking at another one that I kind of forgot about. Uh, Tim Bogert from Vanilla Fudge. Oh yeah, it's another one of those bands that people don't remember that were just so incredibly influential. Um, but yeah, uh, like I remember hearing people talk about John Lennon's death. I remember hearing people talk about Elvis Presley's death. Um, I was what did he die in '76? I think so. I was. My mom was still in high school when when Elvis died, so I don't remember ever seeing these artists. But you know, watching my family discussing the the impact that they had on them, um, I mean, that's how it's going to be in twenty years when our kids are older. You know, if they, you know, stumble across my old, uh, you know, nineteen eighty four CD or my um, my VH one album, you know, they're, if they feel so inclined to play it, they're going to be like, oh, okay, I get what Dad was talking about. Yeah, and I understand where that was coming from. And and I I had mentioned to people the reason the reason for me um that Van Halen uh Eddie Eddie Van Halen passing away was such a big deal to me now and I fully admitted to people. I said, "Look, I was not the biggest Van Halen mark in the world. I wasn't. Like I I I I knew them. I knew their music. I appreciated their music, but it was never like, "Oh man, Van Halen's my favorite band." Like, and I, and I made this, like I said, very clear to people. Um, it was never, you know, it wasn't that, but for me, it was the fact that Van Halen was held in such high regard and, and he, he was even by me, even if it wasn't like my go-to music or my favorite music, he was held in very high regard by me and pretty much every guitar player of any genre. Like the the amount of people that came out and had words to say about how great Eddie Van Halen was spanned every genre of music. Like everyone, all walks of life, everything. And what it did was it forced my hand into going back and listening to some stuff 
that I hadn't either listened to in a long time or never listened to to begin with. Like on Van Halen 1, um, uh, you know what I think one of the best songs on that album is that is so underrated? What's that? Little Dreamer. Yeah. That whole album is filled with gems. Um, I was, and I I know we talked about this in private. I was unfortunate. I mean, I'm not trying to get sympathy or anything, but I unfortunately had to go through, um, you know, the death of Eddie Van Halen while still trying to understand that um, mourning the, the death of my grandmother. And I don't want to say Van Halen's music kind of, brought closure to both of them but going back like forcing myself to go back not forcing but being inspired to go back and re-listen to van halen's music um and then having to go through my grandmother's passing it was almost like that provided such a such a comfort for me that i didn't know van halen's music was capable of doing and it kind of touched me all over again the way it did when i was younger and it's I developed a new appreciation out of it to where I I kind of fell out of favor with Van Halen just because of Eddie's, you know, personal whatever you want to call it, and the beef with Dave and Sam and all that shit. Yeah. But I really they really have hit a certain place with me that I'll kind of carry with me for, for the rest of my life. Um just kind of out of happenstance rediscovering their music. Yeah. And 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 I think it, it that's I, I think that shows really what, I mean, any musician kind of strives for is being able to have that impact on people and have continuing impact on, on people as they discover them, even after they're gone, you know, where their loss didn't really impact, you know, whatever generation or, or whatever, what have you. And we're kind of, we're kind of getting off the rails of gear here, but, yeah. um, uh, it, it, you know, it, it it's just. It is kind of what it is. Like, I mean, with that, I, uh, the, the one thing that, that I, I didn't, we didn't really get to talk about because the announcements weren't done, uh, during NAM. It was a little bit after. So we haven't done a podcast since. And again, I know I'm a huge shill. You, you over there plucking guitar, cowboy. The, um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I just hear, wow. Well, sorry. No, no, no. Don't apologize. It was just like, I thought there was interference. And then I heard it again. I was like, oh, Matt's playing guitar. I like it. Um, I'm doing some some uh, some slow jams in in G major. S- slow, slow, bringing that slow, slow. jam down. Slow jam um, on the Valentine's Day. <laughs> All right, baby, here we go. The uh, the wow, what? that was hot. Oh, the, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, so the one the one thing I want to talk about because they really made a crazy amount of moves. For this year, they had a three-day announcement, kind of 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 what they're doing for this year is Balaguer, and I know again yeah. I talk about Balaguer a lot, but they, they really bear being brought up because they are they're they're still a growing company. They're growing very uh, more rapidly than before, but they announced a whole bunch of new stuff. Okay, first of all, they announced two new models. Okay. Um, and I'm going to go on the the uh, the build-your-own-configure. Yes, you can have your very own semi-custom guitar from Balaguer. Um, and at a fairly reasonable price. Um, th- so first, what they did last... I think it was last year they did was they brought in the... Um, the 
the the the two models from a separate company that Joe was running and trying to get off the ground. They brought the Anomaly and the Vega, which is their two headless models, into the Balagare fold. So now you can do the headless thing. They're more modern, more ergonomic kind of shapes. Uh, but along with their standing models they did, they introduced two new models. They took their single cut, which they call the Astra, and they made a double cut version of it. So it has that... Um, that I'm trying now I'm actively trying to avoid using other names here. So they took their single cut and made it a DC wink wink. So and and it looks incredible. It really suits the the Astra taking it to a DC. It has a very kind of custom look if you will. Um and you could have that look 24/7. Um it has that kind of vibe to it. Uh, they also released the Diablo, which is a kind of hybrid of their two models, the architect, the or the archetype and the Toro. They kind of took the best features of both of those and brought them together into one guitar. Um, they've done some serious uh, reshaping of uh, the heel for the for the Diablo model, and it looks incredible. Um, I love it. They've expanded their custom uh, options as far as like wood goes. Um, they added roasted ash a while ago as a core wood option. They also added uh, walnut. You can do solid walnut top um, now. Uh, for fingerboard woods, they added uh, coca bolo as an option. Um, so you can do a coca bolo fingerboard. Um, they also... Uh, added some new pickups and and I'm getting to some of the other big announcements they had but they added new pickups um for their signature line which they announced some new signatures as well um uh Tony Pusey from the World Alive is getting a revamp of his T-bar um baritone uh Bo Burchell has two new versions of the Woodman, which is their uh, T-style kind of guitar. It has an Evertune bridge, and Bo is no longer using uh, Fishman uh, pickups. He now has a pickup with Balaguer called the Bo Bucker. Um, so that oh. is kind of a big deal, like like having someone go, yeah, I'd rather use this in-house pickup ver that they made me versus Fishman. So that's kind of big. Um then, uh, what else they do? Oh, they got Travis Miguel uh, from the band Atreyu. And he has two different signatures as well. One is the um, thicket shape, which is kind of an offset T. And then also he's using the um, uh, growler as well. One has a stop tail. The other one has a Floyd. Um, and he is using EMG pickups for that. Uh, Andy Williams had his signature redone. Um, he was using the Enigma shape and he had Balaguer. Um, he had, he was using, uh, the Balaguer gorilla bucker, um, in there, which he still does have the gorilla bucker in some of his guitars, but now he moved to, um, now he moved to uh, using DiMarzio pickups, from my understanding. So, and nice. also he changed the model. He was using the Enigma. Now he's using a Toro. His new signature model is a Toro, and it comes in two different finishes. 
Uh, and of course, um, there is the um, their model, the Tartarus, which I still love the fact that the Tartarus started out as a uh, as an April Fool's joke, and it is it became a real thing, and people loved it. Um, the um, uh, Devin Sh uh, Shidaker, uh signature model uh, Tartarus in seven and eight string looks incredible. Um, what else? Oh, they revamped their standard line. So Balaguer also has a standard line that they do. Um, uh, let me see what that. Hold on one second. Oh, um, oh, it's a combination of both. So the Andy Williams. I know I jumped back here. The bridge pickup is a Demarzio deactivator. The Balaguer is a neck pickup. It's a single coil, and it's called the Balaguer Thunderlips. Um, <laughs> so I like that very much. But uh, Balaguer. They should call it the. Uh they should call it the butcher or the elite or something like that. <laughs> and I love pointing out to people, I go, yes, in fact, Andy Williams from the band Every Time I Die is also the butcher from the butcher and the blade in AEW. So that man is living his best life. He is in a successful metal band, has a signature guitar and is an AEW wrestler. Um, and he rocks a hell of a mustache. And he rocks a hell of a mustache. And he's big, thick boy. So, um, yeah. So the other thing that they did with the standard series was they took the standard series and revamped it. First of all, they're no longer being made in China. They're being made in Indonesia. So they moved to Indonesia, um, presumably, I would say, for quality control issues and not saying that the previous standards uh, were anything to sneeze at. Um, I played a couple and they were great, but I feel like Indonesia is putting out some insane stuff. Um, and their quality control is really good. They have uh, the Espada, which I believe has roasted maple neck and fingerboard. And it comes in black, pastel blue, pastel pink, and vintage white. Then they also have the Thicket, which comes in white, vintage red, pa red pastel pink, and pastel green. And now this year, to kind of push start the new model, they have the Diablo standard, which is see-through white with a flame maple veneer. And hip shot bridge. That's the other thing. They they're offering uh, hip shot hardware uh, on the uh, Diablo standards. So it comes in see through white and black. And then the bridge. It's either a hip shot stop tail or an Evertune bridge. So they are offering nice. on their standard series. Uh, you can you can opt for a um, an Evertune bridge. Uh, they also put out a limited run uh, called the Espada Synthwave. Uh, it's really cool. Ebony board, dot inlays. It has a, um, a uh, like a decal finish that's like 80s uh, like grid art kind of thing. You just got to go take a look at it. And the back and sides are a big, thick metal flake that they call uh, Galaxy Sparkle. Um. It's really, really a cool guitar. Um, you should you should go take a look at it because it might just be your vibe. Speaking of finishes, and I know I'm almost done. Thank you for coming to my Balaguer TED Talk. Um, <laughs> they they also released the Fission Drive version two, so it's a new version of their their Fission um, Fission Drive preamp, uh, which you should definitely go take a look at. Um, very very cool. 
Uh, but as far as finishes go as well, um, they added a new, a new metallic color, which is metallic color shift. So it goes from green to purple to blue. Um, and that's a small metal flake. But they also offer the Cosmic Sparkle, which is a big rainbow color flake, uh, metal flake, uh, in their semi-custom as well. Um, I, I mean, look. Oh, they also – wait, ready? They also added uh, for pickups – the pickups they offer active are EMG and Fishman. You can order those on your semi-custom. But then they also offer their own in-house pickups. This is for passives. They have Balaguer, Guitar Marie, uh, Lambertone, Porter, which they've offered. But for this year new, they added some select bare-knuckle pickups to the lineup. You can get the Aftermath with a chrome cover, the Ragnarok with the chrome cover, which are both battle-worn, or you can get the bare knuckle black hawk in black or white. So there you go. Bow yeah, they're like they're really doing some seller stuff. Man, I can't say and the other thing is too, I under and and it absolutely and you know what? I'll do it shamelessly. I'm absolutely being a shill for Balagare. Like they the like the community is incredible. Joe is a great guy. I've said it a million times. Uh, they're, they're very hands-on with their community. Uh, they're very cool people. They're gearheads just like us. And there's no reason you should not go check out Balaguer, um, and support a smaller company. They also do USA builds, heritage builds, uh, you can commission. And Joe does them completely in, uh, Pottstown. Like they're completely done like there at the shop. Um, they just recently picked up a new CNC machine for the USA store. So they're going to be able to put out more USA builds. Um, I, I, I can't say enough. Please do yourself a favor and go check out Balaguer. So there you go. Again, yep. thank you for coming to my Ted talk. If you have any questions or want a, uh, want me to sign anything afterwards, then, you know, I will maybe we'll see. Make all checks payable to Balaguer. Actually, no. Screw that. Make all checks payable to the Tone Bros podcast. Yeah, make all yeah make all checks payable to Tone Bros podcast. Tonebro.com. Um, no, and and like I said, I know I sound like a, a Balaguer shill, but like seriously, like if you know you for the amount of money that you would pay for an in stock guitar, you could get one built for you that is the way the exact way you want it. Like you, it, it'll either be roughly the same price. If you're looking to spend um, fifteen hundred plus on a new guitar, especially what with uh, tax stuff coming around, like you know, if if you don't, if you're not going to save that money, you want to put it uh, towards something. Take a look at Balaguer and their semi-custom stuff because you can go all out and go nuts, or you can make um, you can make something simple and get into something at a fairly reasonable price. Yeah, I was going to say that earlier. It's when you look at the prices of these instruments. Yeah, so sixteen hundred bucks might be a lot of money for a lot of people, but if you're investing in a musical instrument that you're basically having somebody build for you, yeah, re, uh, custom model, that's really cheap. Yeah, and it's all built in the U.S. Well, it the the at semi, least those particular models the, are. Well, the semi-custom stuff is built at um, World Music. 
semi-custom yeah, that's music. The the and the standard stuff is Indonesia, and then the USA Heritage. Those you have to talk to Joe and get a quote on. Those are the ones that are going to set you back uh, quite a little bit of scratch. But again, worth it because okay. you're working directly with the builder. You know what I mean? You're not. Oh, so so the ones that are on the like the online builder are there the the overseas ones, right? Yes, there. Those are the ones that are the ones that are semi-custom online builder are made over in Korea. Well, still, that's inexpensive. For for a for what you get for a completely custom guitar, yeah, yeah, it is. Like, I I mean, you could spend for for stuff made in Korea from bigger builders. You could spend fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred dollars, and it's it's something that they make a million of. You know, like I'm I'm just. It, this is one of those things where I get to say a lot. I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Like not hating, just stating. Yeah. Why, why not? Like, why not get a guitar you want, you know, made the way you want it. it if you're going to spend the money, you know, would you rather, would you rather be, be happy with it and know that you're getting something unique to you? Or would you rather have something that a million other people have, you know, that's just obscure recommendation for the week. Food for thought. <laughs> food for thought. No, but you're totally right. Yeah. Why would you, why would you, you know, uh, I'm not going to single out any names, but we all know of companies that are charging, you know, for base models upwards of two and a half to $3,000. Won't say you know, a word, but both. it rhymes with Blibson. Right. Yeah. The, like, yeah. So just that, yeah, just, just look at it in perspective. And then your QC is going to be questionable. Yeah, you know, just saying. You at least, in some cases, yeah, yeah. I mean, you yeah, at least yeah. you at least have a hand in it. Yeah, and and having a hand in it is is important. I think, especially when you're looking for something that's for you, that's going to be something you want, something you like. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Again, that's yeah, just sure. me. That's just me. But what do I know? I'm just some idiot on the internet. Um. Well, all I can say is if, like, I was in doubt of them until I actually got to play one. So if you're in doubt, go pick one up. And oh, I think yeah. that'll kind of erase any doubt you might have. Dude, like, and here's the thing. Like, I, you know me, I love beating the shit out of my guitars. I love it. What are yep. you doing? Nothing. I, I heard. Just, uh. Oh. What are you cleaning? Nah, what I'm are just, you cleaning over there? I'm actually just trying to get a knife <laughs> descoured here. <laughs> I, I, I keep forgetting how fun. I'm just cleaning up a yeah. knife. Don't worry about me. Well, I don't, I don't want to sound like a psychopath. <laughs> Too late. Too late. Yeah, I'm down here in my basement cleaning up knives. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nothing nothing weird about that. So while, nope, we, were, no. while we were doing this, uh, I, I, uh, I, I kind of satisfied a little bit of gas. Oh, I sweet. Okay. You, you know me. I'm kind of weird with with uh with with deals you know what i mean right i'm kind of i'm kind of goofy with deals um i was on reverb i watch stuff i'll put it on my watch list and i'll eyeball it and everything uh i oh, I, I, I'm, I may or may not have picked up a rocktron metal planet pedal for like a really good price oh jesus a metal i don't yeah, think i remember planet. those oh dude it's it's their it's their take on the metal zone well, did I ever tell you? I used to have a. I think it was the Ganiac pedal. The, wait, they made a Ganiac pedal. 
think it was the yeah, let me pull it up here a second. I'm pretty sure it was called the Ganiac. It was that big it was a really large metal, like not just in genre, but metal sized uh take a like huge pedal. Rock. Tree I think rock. it was called the Ganiac. Gain Ganiac pedal. Let's see. I don't think they made the Ganiac in a in a pedal format. What's the one I'm thinking of? Um, Are you thinking of the Silver Dragon? No, it wasn't. What the hell was it? It wasn't the. Why was I thinking it was called the Ganiac? The Ganiac was a rack mount unit. Yeah, I remember that. Um, the silver. Right, the, there was the Silver Dragon, which was a tube preamp pedal. There was the Rampage. Um, oh, I think it was the Rampage. Was it? That the might have been the Rampage. It was white. Yeah. Was it white? Um, it was like so. Wait a second. Um, this one was silver. Yeah, I think that was it. The ramp. The ramp. It was then. It would be between the rampage or the silver dragon. Did it have two buttons? Or yeah, one? it was a rampage. It, it was, was a rampage. rampage. Yeah. I okay. That. Yeah. I, but it was supposedi based on the Ganiac uh, preamp. I think that's where I was getting the name oh, from. Oh. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah, that thing was stupid. That was so stupid. It was fun, but man, it was stupid. I, well, that's the thing. It's like I'm weird again. I like weird gear, and like the Rocktron stuff, I have this weird spot in my heart for man. Got this weird spot. So you bought the metal planet. Yeah, I bought the metal planet. Like it was just, (laughs) it was, it was a really stupid good deal. And I'm not like, it's not one of those things that I bought. It went, oh, I can resell it for this. I was like, you know what? I don't have a distortion pedal. Like I don't, I don't have one that's a pedal. Like I have, I mean, I have those Digitech uh, artist series pedals, but meh. The um, I, I was like, I don't have a distortion pedal just in case. And I was like, you know what? It's worth it. I I have a little bit extra scratch. It's in good shape. Why not? Why not get a goofy, a ridiculously goofy pedal? Maybe you know. Maybe I'll mod it. Maybe I'll look up a mod for it and I'll mod it. We'll see. But yeah, go for it. Why not? Yeah. But we're getting a little long in the tooth here for this episode. Um, yeah. b- before we go, do you have any gear recommendations, there, cowboy? Um, honestly, get a good setup on your gear. Like I, I might have said this in previous videos, but if your guitar is not set up properly, it's it, it's not going to be it's not going to be worth your time to play, and it doesn't take long to do a setup. I, I recommend learning how to do your own setup. Um, it's not as I don't want to say it's not as easy as it sounds, but in the end of the at the end of the day, once you learn how to do it, it will be a huge weight off your shoulders. I'm slowly learning. I'm still trying to grasp the concept of the truss rod adjusting and how it affects your action and your playability um, because every guitar behaves differently. So once you get that figured out, take the time and learn how to do your own setup because that's something you can do on the fly. Take a half an hour, hour out of your day, set up your instrument, get it to where you want it to be. Cause I think we've all taken our guitars to shops, ask them to set it up a certain way you get it. And it's just not you're not jiving with it. You wind up having to do the extra work yourself. So just take a little bit extra time, learn how to do it. And it's going to be like owning a new instrument again. So that's my kind of weak sauce recommendation, but I think it's invaluable at the end of the day. Um, that's, that's a really, really good one. 
Um, my recommendation would be for the DIYers out there. Uh, do yourself a favor. And if you are switching the electronics in a guitar, you're going to hear people um, say you have to get CTS pots or you have to get Emerson CTS pots. Nothing against those two. Um, just from working with stuff like for me um, and doing the amount of tech work I've done. I will be so bold as to throw out there um, that you should look at alternatives that might seem cost-wise cheaper, but are just as good. Me personally, whenever I rewire a guitar, I really like using alpha, alpha pots. I like them because they are very consistent. And again, nothing wrong with CTS. Like CTS is, is good too, but I feel like the amount of money more you're going to pay for CTS pots it's the, the, the it's just not like again i used this term earlier the juice is not worth the squeeze like if you're going to rewire a guitar whether it's for a client or if it's for yourself take a look at alpha pots because they have an audio taper to them they're very easy to work with they're very consistent and they're readily available and they're less expensive than CTS. Um, there are some people who insist on CTS or um, even more kind of boutique uh, pots like the Seymour Duncan Speed pots. Um, the, and those are phenomenal, but they're expensive. Like that that's the thing is like, I think the Seymour Duncan uh, potentiometers. Let me actually look it up right now because I was going to, I, I recently had a, uh, black Les Paul standard in for a complete rewire. I was, uh, converted it from the, uh, circuit board mount that Gibson does now back to a, um, a traditional wiring, uh, format. Um, and so I'm going to take a look at how much the Seymour Duncan pot is. Seymour Duncan um, pot. Uh, let me take a look again. I'm not wasting time at all. I'm not just yammering. Uh, potentiometers. Let's take a look. Uh, I'm looking this up through, um, and again, hashtag not sponsored, but could be. Um, uh, uh, Stumac. That's where I go for everything. And I understand a lot of people might roll their eyes at that, but I love Stu Mac. They've always taken care of me, and I like them quite a bit. Tone Bro was gone. Now Tone Bro is back. Um, All right. Yeah. So, so, for example, the Alpha Control Pots, um, if you are buying short, uh, short shaft pots, um, 500K ohm short shaft pots for Alpha run you about 350 Long shaft pots are more, but again, there's more material. There's everything like that. But a 500K uh, for humbuckers, short shaft pot is about 350, which is really, really reasonable. Um, if you went with, say, CTS, right? CTS are literally double that. They're literally double that. Like, and, and it says, you know, 
longer life, you know, plus or minus 10% resistance, like stuff like that. Look, alpha pots to me, like are just as consistent. The quality, like, yeah, there's, there's some material differences, but I've never had a problem. But if you went with like the, Dun oh, not Seymour Duncan, the Dunlop super pot, right? The, the Dunlop super pot, uh, a split shaft 500k and they only come in short shaft are $22 for one. I don't know what makes them so special. Um, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what makes them so so special. Maybe I should try them out to see if they're great. Uh, they might be. And then I might say, hey, it's worth every single penny, but no, no, but uh, but yeah, that's my thing. Is like don't don't necessarily just spend all the money in the world on those kind of things unless you insist on it or your client insists on it. If your client insists on it, then okay, you know that's what it is. But just take a look at Alpha Pots. They are very very good and they are very very consistent and they're very easy to work with um, when it comes to wiring and soldering. So that's my recommendation. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually, it's funny you should say that because I was actually looking at getting some 500, um, some extra 500K pots for my Telecaster um, just because the output on it's so drastically lighter than my other guitars. Um, but I didn't want to lose that. I don't want it to get too crispy on the high end. Well, I kind of like the fatness that you get from it. Uh, now Matt's sharpening a knife in the back. <laughs> That's so that's fucking hilarious. Well, you know, it's I guess that's being adulting. That yeah, hashtag adulting, sharpening knives in your basement. Uh, hashtag adulting. Yes, the, when nobody's um, watching. Well, no, and the thing is, at that point, Matt, I don't think it's necessarily your pots. I think it's it might be more of the tone cap you're choosing. Okay. Like uh, you know, to being for for like being able to to you know, well, it depends. Like, what do you have in your Telecaster? Uh, it's those Mojo Tone. Um, it was that solderless wiring harness that has the uh, that's right. 250k. I think they're CTS pots. Right. Now, and is it is it the what, what pickups do you have in there? I can't remember. It's the Bridges, the Demarzio uh, Super Distortion T, and then the neck is the Twang King. Oh, it's. Now, I know the Twang King is like super bright or super low output. Well. Yeah, but the super distortion's not the the thing is that's the reason is you're using. I under it, it's hard because the the Twang King is a, a pretty quispy um, tele pickup, but yes. the super distortion is is a humbucker like it's a high output humbucker. I personally, right. I, I would have gone with 500k pots. Well, that's what I I what. It's stupid. Like I wanted to get that that wiring harness, and it only came in 250k. And I'm like, okay, well, all right, fine, screw it. We'll see what happens. Uh, you know, not really realizing that it's not designed for a humbucker equipped telly. It's designed for a traditional telly. So yeah, in that logic, air 250k pot would work better. No, but five, having that humbucker, 500k, 500k pot. Oh, in a oh, yeah, you, in you a traditional in a traditional telly setup, yeah, 250. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, well, okay, that kind of makes sense. But now when I compare it to my other guitars, they all have 500K pots. So it's like, it's it just seems so much weaker. It still sounds sweet, and I don't want to lose the tone, but the volume of it is, it's it's pretty nerve-wracking. Yeah, you're going to want to, I was going to say, next time, 
next time we get together, we'll uh, whenever I can, I'll I'll pick up some solid shaft uh, uh, pots, and we'll uh, and we'll redo. Because uh, you have the 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 flat top knobs on there, right? The telly knobs. Yeah. Yeah, um, flat tops. Yeah. yeah, we'll do. You, you can you can use split shafts for those. Um, you just have to make sure you notch the set screw in correctly. Um, but traditionally, they use um, solid shaft. Which at that point, that's the one thing Alpha doesn't do. Alpha doesn't do a solid shaft pot like a like they only do split shaft pots. So you would have to go okay. with you would have to go with CTS um, for that okay. because they do a solid shaft pot. But um, yeah, we could do. Well, I, I was gonna say I'll bring my, um, I'll bring my my setup and we can rewire it. Okay. No problem. Yeah, that works. Cause yeah. cause I still have all the old parts for um, from from the uh, stock uh setup that it came with. Yeah. So I mean, we can screw around with that. I think those were two hundred fifty k as well. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna want to go five hundred. Yeah. And then also the tone cap, you're going to want to do probably a 22. Um, yeah. Yeah, 22, 22, 22, 22, 22, 22, 22. Uh, let, me, let me see. Tone uh, cap. Tone caps. Um, I was going to say you do... Um, uh, you could do it. Yeah, we, I mean, you could even take this opportunity to do a, a, like a paper and oil cap if you wanted to faff around with that. Um, uh-huh. which they're, they're pricey, but I mean, I guess, I guess they work. I, I use the orange, uh, the orange drop caps, um, personally, yeah. um, just because that the, they're not wacky expensive and they're also really consistent and they're easy to get a hold of. Yeah. You would probably want to go with a 22, uh, like ultra farad. Um, because, uh, 47 would be better for bases and single coils. Um, I, I like uh-huh. the, I like the 22 for humbucker stuff. And, uh, from what I, from what I remember, the twang King is four conductor. Is it not? Yeah. Should be four conductor. Yeah. Well that, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's a quote unquote humbucker. Like, I mean, it, well, right. it is, I mean, it is, it has two coils, so it's a quiet single coil, but I usually and people out there listening to this, if they get this far in the podcast, you can correct <laughs> me if I'm wrong, but I've always treated stacked single coils like humbuckers um, whenever they're mixed. Yep. You know what I mean? So like you have the Twine King and the Super Distortion. So I would just treat everything like a humbucker in that scenario. Now, if you did quiet coils like three single coil quiet coils, I would treat those like a single coil because they're all the same. Um, it, it Well, you know, you know. Now I'm not so now I'm not so sure if that's if that's the case with the Twang King because it's a true single coil. Like I have the area was it the area 61 I think or yeah. the area T whatever it is that's a humbucker. Oh yeah, well it, it it's, like that's a stacked hum, or a stacked single coil. Yeah, it's a stacked single coil. So you can you right. can split it down if you wanted. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and that one that that had a I mean that was completely noiseless, but it didn't have the sweet sound that the that the Twang King has. Twine King has all that tone, but it's noisy as shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, so. and that's kind of the nature of the beast with those kind of pickups. You know what I mean? Right. You're like, that's what I tell people. If you're going to get into a true single coil, you're going to get noise. Like you're going to be more yeah. apt to noise. And there's nothing wrong with that because no matter how great of a job they do with stack single coils, they don't sound like a true single coil. Nope. You know what I mean? 
They just don't. So, yeah, I don't ask know. Gibson about that with their P100s. Oh, the P100s. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah Sorry, Gibson. I love you. Uh, I, I, dude, I really do. I, we, we, we can we tend to kind of shit on Gibson, but I'll tell you what, the past couple Les Pauls I've had the chance to play around with, I've really enjoyed. Um, and I've played, I got to play an SG, uh, my buddy brought to me, it was that white one, um, that I, that I put up on, um, my Instagram, my Bungo Guitars Instagram, by the way, that's Bungo Guitars, Bungo Guitars on Facebook, Bungo Guitars on Instagram. Um, uh, and I, I put those up on there. And um, they look phenomenal. Like they, they really do. Like, um, and they play great. They feel good. It's just for for me. If you're buying it new, I don't know. It's worth it. That's the problem. Is like Gibson. Like right. where they're at, like money wise versus quality wise. I don't feel like you're paying for a higher quality instrument. I feel like you're paying for a name and a vibe. Now, to be fair, nothing feels like a Les Paul. Like you can try like, and I've, I've owned, um, you know, I had my, my ESP eclipse. I've tried, um, you know, even the Epiphone stuff, which the newer stuff's supposed to be great, but like Epiphone stuff, uh, other companies, single, single cuts that try and be a Les Paul. They're not like a Les Paul is a Les Paul. Like it just is. Right. You know, so if you no want, way around it, yeah, you, you either got to find a good deal or you got to be willing to pay for it. You know what I mean? But yeah. on that note, I think we should get out of here. Matt, thank you for yep. joining me today on uh, the podcast and folks, thank you for listening again. You can find us. Um, you can find us on anchor and Spotify. You can also make sure you follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash tone bros podcast. Um, and again, I'm trying, I'm dude. I can't tell you how big of a headache it's been trying to, to get Google to uh, delete the Tone Bros podcast email. Oh my God. It is a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. Like I cannot get it figured out because I just want to start a YouTube channel where we can dump the audio versions of this. Like seriously. And I'm really considering just calling it a wash and starting a whole new one. Like, and just forgetting the other one exists because they are just not being friendly. Sorry, Google, you're not. All right, thank you very much, Matt. Everyone, I want you to remember something and come in really close. Papa Bungo going to tell you something, okay? Okay, ready? Gain is not volume. I love you.